0: Time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. It's been, I'm being Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this The American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to judge. With the...
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Cold War podcast, episode 200. As we welcome back writer Michael Holtzman for part two of his interview about his book, Spies and Traitors, Kim Philby, James Angleton, and the friendship and betrayal that would shape MI6, the CIA, and the Cold War.
2: In, I love this. In August of 1945, Philby was given the Soviet Order of the Red Banner, and a few months yeah. later in 1945 was given the Order of the British Empire. So he's uh, he's 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 winning on he's both, he both fronts. He didn't wear them. He didn't wear them at the same time. <laughs>
1: no, that's probably that's probably best. Yeah, hope I mean, he didn't mix them up. Yeah, he didn't mix them up. <laughs> yeah, which one? He also had the Franco. The, the, the Franco, Franco medal. There we
2: go. Oh, wow, he's got a collection. Yeah, <laughs> I want medal. It's like Pokemon. You got to collect them all. And <laughs> Angleton received a Legion of Merit. Now, after the OSS was dismantled. He joins the SSU and then finally the newly created CIA in 1947. We've, we've done hundreds of episodes on the creation of the CIA, so we won't go over all that again. But we've talked before on the show about how he helped determine the outcome of the Italian elections in 1948. Can you uh, give us a quick pricey on that story, a reminder?
0: Well, this was a, a, a U.S. government, official U.S. government uh, operation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: the American ambassador to Italy a man named Dunn who uh, you have to remember was not a fascist right. sometimes difficult mm. <laughs> uh, was very concerned that the Italian Communist Party would take over would win an election right, which would, would be uh, not a good thing it wouldn't be a a coup they would actually get more votes and this was intolerable right Uh, so he uh, and the State Department which there was a coup, kind of a coup in the United States you know in 46 where the New Deal ended Mm -hmm. and the leaders of the State Department and, and other uh, became uh, interested in rollback anti communism. So there was uh, an election coming up in '48 in Italy, a uh, parliamentary election, and the American government was very concerned that the communists would win this. The uh, Communist Party of Italy, the PCI, uh, had great strength in the north of Italy where they had organized the resistance to the Nazis. Mm. As a matter of fact, they had such strength that they just won the elections in the north of Italy uh, yesterday. Uh-huh. Uh, wow. In any case, that this was intolerable. So there was an overt uh, effort pro- programmed by the American government of supporting the Christian Democratic Party which had been created by the United States and the Vatican uh, to combat the PCM. There were uh, radio programs, banners, uh, the importation of of wheat was stepped up so people could uh, be alive. That Mm -hmm. went on. And an enormous amount of money was given um, to the CIA, or to whichever, you seem to know the the dates here, whichever organization it was that was the CIA at that Mm -hmm. time. And so Angleton was able to call in the chips from his time in Italy, and these uh, funds were distributed. This was done again in the next election, uh, and in William Colby's, uh, memoir. He talks about driving around from uh, with his trunk of his car full of uh, Italian currency and stopping in various dark alleys and and handing Ooh. it out to Christian democratic politicians. Wow, And that was probably what it was done. And it wasn't it was just
2: gone. handing out cash. I think there were there were threats or or implied threats about what would happen in terms of American support for Italy if the elections didn't go the way they wanted it to go. After the defeat in the election, uh, the communist leader, Togliati, said, the elections were not free. Brutal foreign intervention was used consisting of a threat to starve the country by withholding ERP, which was the, you know, the... the uh, Marshall Plan. Yeah, the, the you know, the funding. European recovery. That's right, the recovery. That's the word I was looking for. Aid, if it voted for the Democratic Front, the menace to use the atom bomb against towns or regions that voted pro-communist. Now, that may be a little bit extreme. I'm not exactly sure <laughs> that was implied, um, unless D- Douglas MacArthur was in control. The CIA, <laughs> as we've pointed out on the show before at this point, had no independent budget still and no contingency fund for covert operations. It was too early. So the money to fund this buying of the election officially or unofficially, I guess, historically came from something called the Exchange Stabilisation Fund, the ESF, that was set up during the Depression to show up the value of the dollar overseas through short-term currency trading. And then by some mechanism, was converted during World War II as a depository for captured Nazi loot, stolen Nazi mm. loot. In your book, you talk about how the money may have come from some of that. I seem to recall that some of it also came from Marshall Plan funds that were diverted to throwing elections. But the way... It Counter- counterpart Counterpart funds. Counterpart funds, was it? And the way that it got to Italy was fascinating. It was sort of disguised as donations from wealthy, mostly Italian-American citizens uh, sending money to newly created political fronts in Italy formed by the CIA, a lot of it going via the political arm of the Vatican, Catholic Action, Um, and donors were instructed to place a special code on their income tax forms that said charitable donation. (laughs) So this is America directly interfering in the elections of a European country in in 1948, and as I seem to recall, we said on our show, that continued for decades. For another 20, 25 years, they kept doing that in Italy.
0: There were three, three streams. There were the the Marshall Plan counterpart funds, which I could explain to you if I had a glass of wine. (laughs) Uh, Then there there were the actual legitimate uh, legislated funds that were going to the embassy. And then there were the funds that were being laundered uh, in the way you just described. And fast forward to the...
2: I was going to say, fast yeah, forward ahead, to the 2016 US election and the outcry in the United States that Russia might have attempted to influence the US election and how horrified Americans were at the idea of a country trying to influence the elections of another. We were, we were laughing our asses off at the time, going, really? <laughs> this, is, this is shocking to Americans that a country might try and influence the elections of another country? Really? Really?
0: So that's a, that's what Angleton uh, did in, in there. Uh, in the uh, document dump that I talked about earlier, the, there were the desk diaries of the head of the CIA, mm. what he did hour by hour. Wow. And uh, from time to time, it was, say uh, Mr. Angleton and Vice Admiral Spenizi, uh, from the head of uh, Italian Naval Intelligence are coming to visit the uh, director
1: would have been and roscoe on.
0: at the time yeah yeah and that went on uh well first it was uh, the general
1: the smith
0: Yeah, he came yeah. later what? eisenhower's second eisenhower's chief of staff in the second model smith yeah beetle smith Beetle. Anyway, there would be these notations that right. the Angleton's position was that he was the liaison to the Italian intelligence system.
1: Is that another way of saying Angleton, kind of, or whatever, controlled, or whatever word you, we should be using? The various Italian intelligence, intelligence agency services? Had great influence. Great influence. There we go. So, so not to beat a dead horse, but it sounds like uh, the CIA for at least a few elections stop the communists from winning elections because that's probably the way the elections would have wanted i mean the, the way the elections would have gone because that's what the majority of italian people wanted it and we denied them that on several occasions for years for decades for decades okay just wanted that pointed out even more Wow. So,
2: moving moving on, in 1948, Philby's new wife, because he and Litzy had sort of... It always seemed to me that that was a bit of a political marriage. It was a marriage of convenience
0: for both... It three. wasn't very good for, the, for a MI6 official to be married to
2: a, an Austrian communist. Good point. So, his new wife, Eileen, in 1948, sets herself on fire, according to one story, or was self-harming in other ways. Um... What do you think that was all about? Did it have anything to do with the fact that a uh, extremely homosexual alcoholic uh, communist spy was living in their ba- basement, <laughs> <laughs> or that her husband was a secret communist?
0: Uh, she was a sick puppy, mm. right? <laughs> um, I think this is overdetermined. You know, um, British women of that class uh, had few options in their lives, Uh, weren't very well educated. Uh, She apparently had had uh, nervous breakdowns before they were married, Mm. and it probably isn't a really good thing to be married to a sociopath. (laughs)
2: Probably not. Do you think she knew that he was, uh, I mean, obviously Litzy knew. You don't think Eileen knew? And how did he explain Guy Burgess living in their basement in Washington?
0: My college friend. Yeah, my bud. <laughs> yeah, and Guy, you know, Guy's uh, lonely in Washington. Right. You know, the, uh, the His habits that seem charming in certain circles in London don't seem charming in Washington. No. Uh, did you read my book on Guy Burgess? No, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Uh, the stories that are told about him in Washington are, are simply not true. He came. He he arrives in Washington, Mm -hmm. and he's adopted by uh, American high society, right? And uh, spends uh, weeks on Long Island playing tennis and going horseback riding with uh, high society people. Goes out to uh, horse country and York horse country in Virginia uh, with with those people, and uh, is is, uh, well Well dealt with but uh also he they were all go, getting under more and more pressure, and uh Burgess uh was drinking much too much to actually work uh so Phil said, uh, i am taking care of guy you know. it's a good cover
1: well let me let me I wanted to ask about that um Everybody seems to be an alcoholic. Is it the stress? <laughs> is it the double life? Is it the is it just what you do in that particular set
0: of of the elite You're or whatever? I, I, uh, Dulles was an alcoholic. Churchill was an alcoholic. Churchill was an alcoholic. <laughs> I thought you were an alcoholic. <laughs> Stalin. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh Roosevelt was FDI in R. our yeah. terms today. Yeah. Right. Roosevelt was an alcoholic. Mm. Right. Is that just... Uh, game it, was an it's on. Mad what Men. If did? anyone's
2: ever watched Mad Men, the men just, <laughs> you know, start drinking martinis at 9 o'clock in the morning and keep it going all day. <sighs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was the way. And they still, got things,
1: they still got things done.
2: Wow. Sorry. So in 1949, Philby becomes the liaison officer between MI6 or SIS, Secret Intelligence Services, they were sometimes called, and the CIA. He moves to Washington. How much do you think James Angleton had to do with the decision to get Philby in that job?
0: Probably not much. Mm-hmm. He would have, like an ambassador, he would have had to be approved by the Americans. Right. So, uh Smith and uh, Hoover, and, uh, the others would have to say, uh, say that's okay, we'll, we'll deal with him. Yeah. It wasn't just uh, CIA, it was the entire intelligence constellation
1: mm. that he
0: was
2: last summer. So he's now got access not only to the secrets of MI6, but the entire American secret intelligence service. And he's been a secret wow. uh, communist spy for this stage, what, nearly 14, 15
0: years. He also had control over the uh, secure communications. Right. Well, that's handy Brilliant. for that job. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good thing thing to have.
2: (laughs) In our Korean War series, which we've been doing for the last, God, I don't know what year, we just paused it at the point where before China gets involved. MacArthur's just pushed the North back over the parallel. Um, Can you talk about the role that Philby Burgess and McLean played in uh, the, the Korean War?
0: Before Burgess went to Washington, he was uh, in the part of MI6 that dealt with the Far East. Mm -hmm. So uh, the communications for the build-up to the Korean War went across his desk, Mm -hmm. and McCarthy thought that uh, Burgess had uh, spilled the beans.
2: Later, this is, after Burgess was revealed to be a Soviet spy.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Later. Right. You know, if you go to the archives in uh, London, uh, National Archive, Q, you can get uh, these files, folders, that have the uh, basic communications. Uh, when the uh, British Embassy or a, a part of the Foreign Office were putting out communications, you would have drafts as you would. Mm-hmm. And these drafts would be circulated in the group, whatever was the relevant group. And the members of that group would then write comments on the left-hand column uh, and suggest changes. So you can go there, and you can see Burgess writing suggestions about British policy in the Far East in these things that then get incorporated into the final communications
2: fantastic so from MacArthur's perspective the um, stalemate uh, in the Korean War had a lot to do with the Cambridge five members of the Cambridge five uh, secretly passing on uh, uh, mostly American uh, strategic thinking to the to Moscow and from Moscow I guess to China or to the north I guess yeah, China. I don't think
0: that happened. you don't I don't think that had any impact Really? No, I don't think so either. Uh, MacArthur did it himself, right? Yeah, mm. he thought that the only way to uh, defeat the, the Chinese was by atomic bombs. Mm-hmm. It meant that he, would, he had lost. Yes. Right.
2: Yeah. Well, the Chinese were able to deploy was like something close to two million troops, which I don't think he'd really factored in in the early days. And we've talked a lot about. Uh, MacArthur's uh, strategic thinking at various stages, at least in the first half of the war. Um, You quote James McCargar, who you call a particularly colourful American secret intelligence official, (laughs) as saying that Philby and I were friends. Philby was a man of great charm. He had a pronounced stammer, which somehow didn't affect one's relations with him. When he started to stammer, you just waited and he eventually found the word and went on. It sounds like working with Ray. You just wait and eventually (laughs) Ray will say something that makes sense. As As I said to somebody later, we all came out of the Second World War floating on a sea of alcohol. Drinking was not a sin during the Second World War and these habits stayed on. But Philby was the most extraordinary drinker I've ever come across. Many and many a night I saw him very, very drunk. His idea of heaven was a pitcher of martinis that you drank all night. And you have to wonder, like, for decades, he's leading this double life, even when completely hammered drunk. And part of me wonders if the the drunk, the alcoholic version of him was, uh, was a fake, that he wasn't really. Because sh- how could you possibly, even if he was a sociopath, as you suggested, how could you get completely shit-faced drunk and never give away a hint that you're who you really are. a communist yeah. spy or have communist leanings to anybody? Like, everybody was flabbergasted and shocked when it was suggested that he was a communist spy, let alone when, it was when he revealed himself decades later. Do you, do you think the drinking might have been uh, a, a fake?
0: How is that possible? I don't think that the drinking was not a fake. The, the drinking was real. The uh, division in the personality mm. is not something that that I am qualified to talk about. It, it reminds me of um, people who survive torture. Mm-hmm. You know where they do that. They say, "Oh, well, uh, this body that's in pain is not me." Right, and so so the people are are capable of these
2: things well I, I had an experience about that on the weekend actually a personal experience i was tortured um i had a <laughs> i had a vasectomy you haven't heard this story yet Ray sorry <laughs> I, I a little close your ears if this is if you're sensitive uh, to this michael but uh, I had a vasectomy on saturday and uh and look i've got my um Still got my bag of peas.
1: No, <laughs> I, I wasn't sure he was going to show us. No, it's not it's a bag of peas.
2: Everyone relax. It's a bag of
0: peas.
2: <laughs> I said, vasectomy, it, not yeah. castration. And <laughs> when the when the surgeon started to make the first incision after giving me a local, I went, Oh, ha, 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 hey, oh, that really hurts. And he said, Oh, uh, well might have to give you another local are you normally receptive to local anesthetic and I said well the only time I've had it actually is when I have dental work done and come to think of it they normally have to hit me two or three times more than they do a normal person so he goes oh "Oh, okay so he hits me another couple of times and goes to work on the left side and the pain is dulled to a a roar from excruciating then he starts on the right side I go hey oh hey hey stop what what the hell man (laughs) Did my you know, did my did Ray pay you to hurt me like this? I mean, did Ray send you a thousand yes, bucks to, to torture placebo,
1: placebo. me? And so he
2: had to hit me another couple of times, and I was lying there on the table, disassociating myself from the pain, staring up at the oh, ceiling, saying it's just right. a thing every every meditation trick in the book I had, and I've got a lot, <laughs> I was pulling out going, It's just pain, it's don't think about it, don't Temporary. fight it, you don't yeah, yeah just It'll be good. Think about all, all the, what my wives have been through giving birth, what Ray goes through every time he has to do a podcast <laughs> with me. Just think about, it. I had to disassociate. Yeah. I did ask him, do you have any whiskey? He said, you need another shot? I said, do you got a <laughs> bottle of whiskey? Because I've watched Deadwood. I know how you do it, in, you know, in the olden days. Just give me a stick to bite on and a bottle of, you know, whiskey <laughs> or moonshine to get me through this. It was, uh... and as I was leaving, the nurse said, uh, she gave me this cup. Uh, no, to cover a uh, cooler, it takes balls to get a vasectomy for people who aren't watching the video. And she said, Ouch. now, show this to your friends and pass on the word. I said, oh, I'm going to talk about it on my podcast, lady. And she <laughs> said, well, I hope you tell everyone it didn't hurt. And I go, hell no, I'm going to tell them <laughs> it hurt it's like a true. motherfucker. But it, uh, <laughs> you know, it just, but it's because I'm so superhuman that uh, right. you know uh, 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 local anesthetic apparently doesn't work on me very well so anyway wow. maybe maybe that's yeah. the trick that Philby pulled disassociation no, he, was a, he was an actual
0: he was an actual alcohol
2: well that's right. amazing that he could do that and never give away a hint of his real self it's it's uh, stunning
1: but he'd been faking it for like you said, over 10 years, maybe it was second nature, even when drunk. I don't, I don't know. It's, but it, but it is quite astonishing.
2: Okay, so in Le- <laughs> Angleton was also a noted alcoholic. In Legacy of Ashes, Tim Weiner wrote, Philby worked for Moscow out of a secure room in the Pentagon adjacent to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. His friendship with Angleton was sealed with the cold kiss of gin and the warm embrace of whiskey. He was an extraordinary drinker knocking back a fifth a day and Angleton was on his way to becoming one of the CIA's champion alcoholics, a title held against stiff competition. For more than a year before and after many a liquid lunch, Angleton, Angleton gave Philby the precise coordinates for the drop zones for every agent the CIA parachuted into Albania. Though failure followed failure, death upon death...
0: That,
2: that's not true. Not
0: that's true. true. But, that's not true. Okay. Oh, what what's the truth then uh, the truth was the other CIA agents' <laughs> 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 It will be the that information, and also MI MI six. Ankleton said this isn't going to work. Oh, uh, the Albania rollback. He said the Albanian, uh, what do you call them, refugees, uh, are completely infiltrated. Uh, but by the Soviets. Yeah. And there's no way this is going to work. Yeah. And he was right. He also said that about Bay of Pigs. Right. Bay of Pigs. Yeah. 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 He had... Uh, Hamilton had his own agent. Right. Uh, uh, outside of the CIA. Or wow. And uh, he kept saying, you know, uh, this isn't going to work. Yeah. The Cubans know everything you're doing.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: amazing. So he he wouldn't get involved and Richard Helms would not get involved. He and Richard Helms were very close. Right. Right. But that's what happened with Albania. Well,
2: uh, just moving on with Tim Weiner because I like the way he positions it here. Angleton was promoted to Chief of Counterintelligence when it was over. He held the job for 20 years. Drunk after lunch, his mind an impenetrable maze, his inbox a black hole... He passed judgment on every operation and every officer that the CIA aimed against the Soviets. He came to believe that a Soviet master plot controlled American perceptions of the world and that he and he alone understood the depths of deception. He took the CIA's missions against Moscow down into a dark labyrinth. I don't really have a question about that. You may agree or disagree, but I just love the stories of these guys. It kind of reminds me of Dean Martin in the Matt Helm movies. Like these guys sort of wanted to be the rat pack. But as, as we said before, it was probably a common thing for uh, American men in those days just to, you know, do their job. They were, they were um, what do you call it to when they're alcoholics but can get the job done anyway? Functioning. Functioning alcoholics. High functioning,
0: high functioning. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, Wiener is playing a, a uh, one side of, of this war that went on in the CIA. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angleton's job was counterintelligence. His job was to prevent uh, penetration of the CIA's operations by uh, the enemy, whatever the enemy was at the time. Right. So um, a, 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 an operator would say, uh, We want to send a, a group of agents into Estonia to overthrow the uh, communist government of Estonia. Mm-hmm. And here's their names, because they had to give Angleton the names because he was supposed to vet them. Right. So Angleton would say, well, uh, this one uh, works for the Red Army, this one's a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some, I'm sure sometimes he said, oh, those are good guys. But the operators wanted him to okay everybody. Because right. the way that you get promoted in an uh, organization like that is you have operations, not your kind of operation. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, Angleton was blocking their careers. Right. Um, and this is still going on. There, there are conferences where, the, where these people stand up and say, Angleton ruined my career, or, ruin, ruined my father's career by not letting him invade uh, Estonia. right. And yeah. uh, uh, so you need to kind of, as we said at the beginning, is stop dealing with these myths right. and look at evidence, try to figure out what well, was actually going on. This is quite beside the point of whether over- overthrowing the government of Estonia was a good thing. Right, right. right. Which is, it's now, uh, most of those countries were fascist dictatorships in the 30s, and they're edging that way again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there
2: was, as there is today in uh, American intelligence agencies, always internecine warfare going on, internal battles between agencies, inside the agencies for power, like there is in any organization. Little fiefdoms, people trying to push their agendas, get their friends promoted, et cetera, et cetera.
1: It sounds like at this point that Angleton... Takes his job very seriously. He's very good at it, and he's doing his due diligence by by vetting these various people. Just uh, other co-workers may not like it, but that's his job because he's trying to stop, you know, penetration. And I guess he makes enemies along the way. Um, he, uh, but again, he does seem to be very good at his job.
0: He learned well from Philby. Well, there were not any infiltrations while Angleton was on the job. And when he wow. was forced out, there was the Alders Ames affair.
1: Right that speaks volumes
0: except for yeah. the Philby penetration No, well, that was before he was had a scanner intelligence right. Philby was already in i guess
2: yeah okay. yeah so in in 1951 Philby gets involved in the hunt for homer the venona cables basically they they figured out there's a soviet spy inside the british service who turns out to be donald maclean at the time the head of the american department foreign office so he's a he's a communist spy. Gets involved in the hunt for a communist spy inside his own ranks. How does he how does he handle that conflict?
0: Oh, he uh, he's very helpful. He <laughs> says uh, you might also want to consider this. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's the group of suspects.
2: Was his own how name on the list? Hmm. Was his own name on that list? McClane's on the list. No, yeah. did Philby put his own name on the oh, list?
0: No. no, he didn't. Put his own name on the list. This happens over a relatively short period of time, right. and uh, Philby is uh, one of the two people who are coordinating the hunt for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and he he acts in such a way that that he's not suspected, mm. but he has to deal. He has to protect McClane. Wow. And so that's when uh he tells Guy Burgess that he can't use the regular communication system. He can't send a wire to the head of the American department saying, uh, you better get out of Dodge. Right. Uh so he, he says to Burgess, who's about to lose his job anyway, uh, you go back to London and work out some way to go back to out to London mm-hmm. and uh warn Donald. So Burgess uh does this um, intricate set of activities where he uh, gets a lot of junk driving uh, violations in mm-hmm. Virginia uh, and so forth, and he's declared persona non grata. Right. Uh, and he's sent back to London and tells Donald um, McLean that it, we're leaving now. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's time to go. So they and then when when that's done, since mm-hmm. since Burgess had been uh, Philby's lodger, people say, um, hmm. "Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and why don't you go to London and explain this?"
2: But it's and this is where you think, "Oh well, the story's over now. The cat's out of the bag. Burgess and McLean defect to the USSR. Burgess has been living with Philby, um, so this kind of looked good." And you would think that it's all over and that Philby too will defect and I go, okay, the, the writing's on the wall time's up. Let's get out of here. But no, he doubles down and goes, "What are you talking about? You're crazy. No, what? It's me, me are you kidding me. No, I knew yeah. nothing. I had no idea. He doubles down and just it just faces it and just denies it. And Sticks it out. gets away with it. It's in a, it's, it's in a, st- like the balls on this guy. It's
1: astounding. Like, not like.
0: <laughs> you, you keep coming back to it. I do. I keep, I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with balls at the moment. I'm sorry. Ugh,
1: um, you could be forgiven. Yeah. He's
0: just like, the, well, he says, he says, yeah. He says later when he's training uh, KGB agents, mm-hmm. no, he never confess. <laughs> oh, right. No. Although he does eventually. And, and this guy, In this case, there was no evidence. Yeah. Good point. They had to have a confession. Yeah. Right. Which also happened with Blake and with Hooks. Right. uh, Now,
2: I've heard it suggested that if this hadn't have happened, if Burgess hadn't have been living with him and then defected at this time, Philby might have gone on to become the CSS, the Chief of the British Secret Service. Uh, Angleton... Or deputy. Right. Or deputy. Uh, Angleton certainly seems to have believed he would still get the job even after all this went down. He said to another guy, yeah, I I, I still think he'll uh, end up in the top job
0: one of these days. What do you think? Uh, uh, you, you'd have to try to figure out what Angleton was trying to do by saying that. Uh, uh,
1: do you think Angleton suspected Philby by this point? He
0: suspected Philby when Burgess and McLean went to Moscow.
1: He did. Gotcha. Okay. All right.
2: Makes sense. So Philby gets called back to England. Before he goes, Angleton asks to meet him for a drink at a bar, gives him an envelope, which he asks him to give the head of counterintelligence in London, saying he missed the courier bag, and he wants it to get to him as soon as possible. And so there's this great situation where Philby's like, sure, I'll give the document to the head of counterintelligence in London. Uh, And he's wondering what's in the document. And, you know, does he he not suspect me? Does he suspect me and thinks I'm going to open it and read it and then they'll know if this information gets back to Moscow? And uh, do we know
0: what was in that document? We don't know. We don't even know if that story is true. Really?
2: Oh, it's a shame because it's a great story. Who told the story? Philby. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's straight out of a James Bond <laughs> film though right it's like yeah. you can just imagine this scene going down it's totally beautiful so Philby gets inter-
0: a, lot of, sorry. a lot of Philby's uh, book is uh, directed at Angleton
1: right mm. wow
2: now Philby gets interrogated by you know, pretty much everyone MI6, MI5 and resigns from SIS, but he isn't beheaded. He he just just sticks around and you know keeps doing something. Why why do you think he didn't go to Moscow as well at the time? He had work still to do. He
0: had work still
2: to do. Yeah, the mission wasn't finished. All right. So he even gets defended by C at the time, the head of MI6. People are. Familiar with uh, M. Who knew his
0: people. Sorry? Who knew his
2: people. Knew his people, yes. Yes, This would have been Major General Sir Stuart Menzies. Is that right at the time, C? Yeah. I like what um, the novelist Ken Follett wrote about this. He said, Mr. Philby outwitted Menzies because Mr. Philby was intelligent and professional and cool, where Menzies was an amiable upper-class sportsman who was out of his depth. And British intelligence, except for the code breakers, was like Menzies, amateur, anti-intellectual, and wholly outclassed, which is actually how I would think more of the CIA than of British intelligence. I thought they had a lot more experience at it. What do you think of Follett's uh, summary?
0: Uh, I don't think much go in for dramatic statements like that. Uh, it's fun, though. Come on. There's, a, there's an SIS officer named Tim Milne yeah. mm-hmm. who was very close to Filter and who wrote a memoir that he didn't publish in his lifetime that was published a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, pretty accurate. And Milne is an intelligent man. In a big organization you you can't screen out all the intelligent people. And in the in the CIA, you have three divisions, right? You have intelligence, which is trying to get the secrets of other people or to prevent forgetting your secrets Mm -hmm. you have operations which is making a lot of noise and you have analysis and the analysis is pretty good you get uh historians and so forth Mm -hmm. in analysis and they get into the same kind of fights with the operators as the operators do with the counterintelligence people Mm
2: -hmm. right so what were the repercussions for Menzies in having a, a spy in such a senior role in MI six during his tenure? I don't know. Did he retire? Probably retire. Eventually, I think. Yeah.
1: But again, it just comes back to the class. Uh, again, I'm just maybe because I'm an American and whatever. But uh, the this very small elite group was willing to back each other. Even though things looked bad, you're right, there was no evidence against Philby per se. But as long as he stayed cool, he stayed calm, his friends were backing him up, the worst thing that can happen is that he does have to step down, he does have to resign. Whereas, yeah, like Cam, I was a little surprised. It's like, well, we can't even take a chance. There's a chance you might be a double agent, so we have to do something more stern with you. But that's simply not how they did things at the time.
0: There was a lot of pressure from the Americans. Mm -hmm. Uh, Smith said, fire Philby or I'll break the relationship.
1: Ooh, wow. That's probably the only reason why Philby was removed, do you think? That's
0: probably a a good reason. Gotcha. In his 1970s... So Philby drifts around for a while. Right. And has a lot of child support payments. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. takes various odd jobs, and then his friends decide to help him. Right. And they get him this journalism job in Beirut. Right. In, his, in his 1977
2: lecture to the members of the KGB, Philby said, In the summer of 1951, McLean and Burgess arrived in the Soviet Union, leaving me, in, leaving me in serious trouble. What to do? I enjoyed three great advantages. Many senior officers of SIS from the chief downwards would be greatly embarrassed if it were proved that I was working for the Soviet Union. They would certainly want to give me the benefit of any doubt. Second, I knew the SIS and MI5 archives in great detail. I knew the sort of evidence they could bring against me. Third, I knew British security procedures inside out. I knew that much of the information in the possession of the security authorities cannot be made the basis of a charge in the courts, as it either cannot be corroborated or comes from sources too delicate to be revealed. It was a long battle of nerve and wits lasting on and off for five years. Then I was informed by SIS that they had finally decided in my favour. They actually offered me a job as SIS agent in the Middle East operating under journalistic cover.
0: Yep. Wow.
1: <laughs> I mean, I know we're doing this with hindsight, but at the time, that's still staggering to me. We knew his people. We knew yeah. his people. I need people. I have no people. Hey, you got me. Hey, I got gotcha. you. I got you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, you're not, you're not as much of a man as you were a week ago, but oh,
2: that's fine. Oh, okay. You're going to go there, right?
0: <laughs> Sorry.
2: So, they- uh, He
0: goes to the Middle East. Yes, sir. He goes to the Middle East under journalistic cover. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Yeah. So uh, J. Edgar Hoover's actual words were, for my part, I conclude that Philby is as guilty as hell, but I don't see how you're ever going to prove it. So that was the situation. They just couldn't
0: right. prove it. Right, yeah.
1: Um,
0: and that's why they tried to get him to confess uh, right? in Beirut. Oh.
1: Can I just be get a brash American for a second? Um, there's a chance that Philby might be a double agent or whatever. And and we know that the CIA breaks all kinds of laws almost from the beginning of their existence. I guess there's never a question in MI6 of, well, forget the law for a second or forget manners for a moment. This guy might be a double agent. We have to remove him one way or the other. I guess I'm assuming that was just a never, never a conversation that happened in London. Sometimes you just got to take matters into your own hands, hands to, to straighten something out. But I guess they're all too busy being gentlemen. That never happened. And, you know, Philby has to step down. I just wonder why no one's taken a more direct approach. I don't approach.
0: think that's ever happened. I'm sorry? I, I, don't, I don't think uh, an employee of a British or an American secret intelligence agency was ever assessed.
1: Ah, gotcha. Okay, so it just wasn't an option. Okay,
0: thank you. So when... What do you take them uh-huh. for? I'm sorry? <laughs> what do you take them
2: for? <laughs> <laughs> so when Dulles takes over the CIA, Angleton gets a promotion. Um, later on in life, uh, towards the end of his life, Angleton gave Joseph Trento, author of a book called The Secret History of the CIA, uh, an explanation of why he got a promotion and didn't get fired after all this went down when his favourite drinking buddy turned out to be a Soviet spy or at least was, they thought he was. He says, you know, I got to be in charge of counterintelligence. I agreed not to polygraph or require detailed checks on Alan Dulles and 60 of his closest friends. They were afraid that their own business dealings with Hitler's pals would come out. They were too arrogant to believe that the Russians would discover it all. Uh, We've talked a lot on our show about American support for Hitler before the war from the likes of um, Prescott Bush and George Herbert Walker, who were the bankers for Fritz Thyssen, one of Hitler's major, America, uh, major German financiers. And we know that the Dulles brothers were with Sullivan and Cromwell, an international uh, law firm before the war. What was their involvement with Hitler's pals that uh, Angleton was referring to? Banks. Banking? Banking.
0: Yeah, Money. right. They were advising bankers that were working with German banks. Right. So or they advising German banks. Right. And then there's this very curious thing about the relationship between Angleton and Dulles. Dulles built his career in the CIA on what he called Operation Sunrise, Mm -hmm. the surrender of German troops in Italy. And it appears to me, and it appeared at the time to Angleton, that this was uh, an SS initiative. Mm. That it, it wasn't Dulles being clever. Right. It was the SS being clever. Yeah. General Wolf, who was the uh, SS general in charge in Italy, was trying to uh, not go to Moscow. It was very bad to go. To yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there was a, a, a general effort by the uh, German army to surrender to Uh, the British and American. Oh, right. And not to uh, not to go to Moscow. And it it appears that at at least Dulles was being used by Walt to do this. Mm. Now, Angleton thought that that was what was happening at the time. And he tried to stop it. Wow. Uh, And then Nine years later, he's Dulles' best friend. So nine years is a long time.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we covered that story, I think, on a couple of episodes. And Dulles obviously took credit for it, and it it was a big boost to his uh, career as an intelligence guy. Right. Oh, my God. Um, All right, well, moving on. In 1955, Philby gets called the third man in the House of Commons six years after the film of the same name, great film, with Orson Welles in his cuckoo clock speech. Uh, But Harold Macmillan, who was the foreign secretary at the time, again says there's no evidence against Philby. Philby still doesn't run to Moscow. And I think on the biography show that we did about Philby many years ago, I found a clip on YouTube of Philby being interviewed on the BBC at the time. Uh, about these allegations. And he's all just very British and it was obviously completely Very smooth. So, you know, very yes. smooth. Like no tells. Yes. Like just completely His hands didn't flawless. shake. Yeah. 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 Um, I would have been on the fastest jet out of there to Moscow, but I'm a coward. Still, he doesn't waver. <laughs> he just holds tight. And uh, as we said before, they end up giving him a job. He goes to Beirut, during the Suez Canal affair as a secret MI6 agent, this time not as an officer, he's an agent. After,
0: after Suez Canal.
2: Mm-hmm. After the Suez Canal, right. He's undercover as being a journalist for both The Observer and The Economist, um, obviously still secretly reporting to the Soviets. He visits his father. At Do you think at this point his father knows anything about his secret life or does he hide it from St John as well?
0: It's John. Sinjin.
2: Sinjin. Sinjin. Okay.
0: I don't know, and I don't think it's very important, and I don't think it would have been very important to his father. Mm. Oh, you're working for, for the Soviets against the British Empire. That's that's nice. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: I, I just have to ask real quick, and I think I, I'm going to anticipate your answer, but again, for Philby, even though there's there there seems to be some pressure, is it is it arrogance? Is it courage? Or is it, again, the job is not done. I'm still, I'm still a vital thing to the, to the communist cause. And so I will stick it out and keep providing information. I mean, is it that just, that's the way it is for him? He's just still got a job to do. Yeah. Wow. I still call that courage. I'm sorry, Cam, go ahead. Well,
2: while in Beirut, Beirut, he's been closely watched by everybody, um, including the CIA, (laughs) including he's being watched by a a CIA agent called Miles Copeland, Miles Axe Copeland Jr., the father of Stuart Copeland, the drummer from the police, (laughs) and the father of Miles Axe Copeland III, the manager of the police, and Sting. And these boys are in Beirut growing up while this is happening. Like this is a crazy story. <laughs> Angleton apparently told Copeland, "I know Philby is a Soviet agent," but um, Copeland uh, doesn't deny, uh, doesn't believe it. Many years later, in 1963, Copeland says, "If Philby was a communist, he was the best actor in the world, and this was quite <laughs> unbelievable. He would have had to construct." a fantastic intellectual framework and stick to it moment by moment, all tending to a liberal viewpoint. But uh, apparently that's what he did. Like he was exactly what he
0: astounding, did. Yeah. absolutely astounding. So, so, go, go on. On. Well, the, the interesting thing that I found about Philby uh, and Beirut is what a good journalist. Mm-hmm. A yes. I enjoy that part of your book. Um, he, I tried to quote all of the articles, but my editor said <laughs> I can't. <laughs> no, it was amazing. Uh, they're, they're really great. And the reporting from Yemen is particularly pertinent these days. Exactly the same thing was going on in 1959 as it's going on now. Right. Um, he said it was the country where there were more machine guns than typewriters. Wow. Oh, and that tells you. Uh, so that was going on. So, so he was a very good journalist, mm-hmm. and then gradually he started missing deadlines. Mm-hmm. And this was either because the alcohol was finally getting to him, or that he realized what was going on. That everyone who was at the cocktail parties were an agent for someone or another, watching him. Uh, we trying to wow.
1: That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. But he doesn't stop having a
0: good time.
2: Eileen Philby, uh, his second wife, dies. He ends up having a, what I think you describe as a very alcoholic affair with and then marrying in 1959 an American, Eleanor Brewer, the wife of a prominent New York Times journalist, Sam Pope Brewer. Um, she moves to Beirut to be with him, takes her teenage daughter with Sam Brewer, um, and then I recall he also later on, when he's in Moscow, has an affair with Donald McLean's wife.
0: So... he's a very interesting person.
1: <laughs> he would have to be. <laughs>
2: he's a real ladies' wow. man. Yeah, she was. She was? She's a very interesting person. Which yeah, one? Brewer? Very interesting. No. Oh, McLean's wife? Right. And I, I actually... Yeah,
0: I think she I, was a spy. I yeah.
2: dug up... When they, when they go to Mo- Moscow, I, dig, I dug up an article in the New York Times saying um, Sam Brewer's wife and daughter have gone missing. Their whereabouts are unknown. If anyone knows about them, please uh, get in contact. Wow. That's, uh, like, horrifying for him. His teenage daughter just disappears yeah. off the map,
0: right? Yeah, he eventually gets... Uh, Custody. Destroisha yeah, of, of the
2: teen show. So then in, in December 1961, just to try and wrap up the story because I, I know it's dragging on, um, but it's your book. Uh, in, in December 1961, Golitsyn, KGB officer, uh, defects to the CIA, reveals the existence of the Cambridge Five, identifies a third man with the codename Stanley, and this is really the beginning of the end for Philby, isn't it?
0: Uh, he, he loses a lot of friends over that, mm. yeah. Uh galitzin these these defectors are, are interesting. Uh they often come defect not those that go to Moscow, those that go to Washington. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they have some uh, legitimate information right. that they then uh use to bargain with. And Golitzin had some and then uh they used that up and they have nothing more to say or to sell oh. and so they start making things up right so there was a member of the Polish secret intelligence service who had a Polish name that I can't pronounce um, who defected to uh he, he thought he was defecting to the FBI because he said the CIA was riddled with Soviet agents. But actually, the people he thought were FBI agents were CIA. Uh, and he had a lot of information, the names of agents and things, things like that. And when he ran out of uh, that information, he said, by the way, I forgot to tell you that I'm uh, the son of the late czar Russian. Of course. Wow. Isn't
2: everybody? No, yeah, yeah. Well, Gillinson <laughs> yeah. did well out of his uh, defection. I think he was made an honorary commander of the Order of the British Empire. He was made an American citizen. He uh, lived to a ripe old age, died in 2008, aged 82. So uh, wow. it worked out worked out well for him. But not so well for Philby. Well, I guess he was okay too. So um, he gets interviewed again by SIS, and then he, they either force a confession out of him or he volunteers a confession. At this stage, why is he confessing now when he's been denying it all these years? Is it just
0: too too much out there now? We're talking about Philby, Philby. yes. Yeah, sorry, we're talking about. Oh, he didn't confess. They, they uh, MI6 sent out his a uh, guy who thought he was a good friend of Philby's. This was... A widespread illusion. Mm -hmm. Um, And he had a a confession written out. The MI6 person had a confession. All right. And he said, uh, We've got you. We know you're a spy. Um, I want you to sign this confession. Mm -hmm. And this was obviously at a cocktail party, of course. And so. uh, Philby says, uh, You're right, you've got me, I'll sign it in the morning. Right. And in the morning they can't find <laughs> him. <laughs> Why didn't they arrest him? Well, they can't arrest him. They don't have arresting power on the uh, in Beirut. Wow. Ah. If you think you're going to get arrested, you should go to another country. Right, right. It's a procedure <laughs> that doesn't have. Uh, right. Uh, treaty so
2: that's very convenient so he uh he disappears and and he seems to suggest if i recall correctly in his own book that they wanted him to disappear that this was kind of a nod wink wink, nod nod would be really best for everybody if you just disappeared for a long period of time yeah wouldn't you Well, it's going to be very embarrassing to everybody if it's revealed that a guy of this stature was a spy to the Americans and to the British. Uh, And if he just disappears and no one really knows what happened to him and it's just, well, we don't know, maybe he fell in a hole somewhere and we just haven't found him, then, you know, the story moves on and you can talk about something else for a while.
0: Yeah, that, that may be the case. I think Angleton wanted to get him. Right. It was uh, personal? The Brits may not have wanted to Right. Get him.
2: Yeah. I would have thought it's just as embarrassing for the Americans as for the Brits. What kind of a great spy well, can you have. be as Angleton if you've been drinking with a communist spy for 20 years who was your mentor and you never picked up on anything? I mean, that's, that's pretty
0: embarrassing. How do you keep your job? Well, that's what you drink right? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, it wouldn't have been as
2: big uh, a Really? Thing. That's yeah. shocking to me.
1: <sighs> Different times.
2: All right, well, let's wrap up the story. What happens to Philby and Angleton after this?
0: Well, Angleton, uh, the Glitzin thing was just uh, a problem inside the CIA. hmm Angleton was a very good friend of Richard Holmes, who, who later becomes director of the CIA and thus Angleton's untouchable. Uh, he also carpooled. Before that, he carpools with Dulles. He gave Dulles rides to work. Uh, so uh, no one was going to do anything with Angleton. Wow. When the, he began, he gets this kind of quasi-public role, Uh In Washington, when the uh, Warren Commission is formulated, uh, Angleton is made the CIA's delegate to the Warren Commission um, to assure them that the CIA had nothing to do with the assassination. And then he, he does similar things like that. He's also put in charge of special operations, which always means things you don't want to talk about. So there was the, uh, the project where all international mail from the United States was opened by the CIA and opened in red. What um, a dull job. But anyway, <laughs> right. uh, they did that. Also, the, the telegrams, the ITT uh, made this easier by ta- taking the magnetic tapes that had the international telegrams on them and giving them to the CIA. Wow. Uh, so they didn't have to have a special operation at the airport. Uh, there were a lot of projects like that that occurred uh, when they wanted to do something about the student uprisings in the in the '60s. Uh, Angleton wrote a report on that on Operation Chaos. Mm-hmm. Then William Colby becomes head of the CIA. Mm-hmm. The Angleton thought that Colby was a, a a Soviet agent. Um, Gee, I wonder why. Well, he thought he was an agent before. Right. Uh, I interviewed a, a CIA official who had been part of Angleton shop, who was in Vietnam uh, during the war. And they said they would, that uh, Colby had this ambiguous position. Have you done a show on Colby? No, mm-hmm. not
2: yet. He's a little bit further down the timeline for where we're at.
0: You know, Colby was in charge of that genocide program in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Um, And the CIA guy said they wouldn't let him into the office because they knew that he was uh, uh, working for the other side. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So that was the belief, anyway, in uh, Angleton's death. Mm. Colby becomes director. Uh, He says that Angleton's too weird and fires him. Uh, and then he dissolves the counterintelligence unit of the CIA. Now mm. uh, you recall that the counterintelligence unit's job was to prevent infiltration. Mm-hmm. So Colby fire, uh dissolves this, so the CIA has no uh, defense against infiltration. That seems bad. <laughs> you know, Colby died under mysterious circumstances.
1: Oh, really?
0: it's getting dark quick Uh, so that that was uh, Colby fired Angleton Angleton was uh, was rehired the next day as a consultant at the same summary by the CIA and spends a lot of time testifying to Congress and advising people on things like that Mm -hmm. comes down with lung cancer Uh, and then uh, his wife came back and went away came back wow so the uh, once he was in Moscow the KGB tried to dry him out um, which didn't work (laughs) (laughs) they were not quite sure that he wasn't not a double agent but a triple agent wow they thought that maybe he was spying on the KGB for the MSX so they Spent a long time kind of watching him,
1: and mm-hmm.
0: to find him. Eventually, they made him an instructor in the spy school. And there's a, a lecture, did you get that lecture, that to the Stasi, where he, he talks to them about how to be a good uh, secret intelligence agent. Read bits of it, yeah. yeah. And uh, Graham Greene goes to Moscow to visit him, and they get drunk together. <laughs> he kind of just peters out. Right. the KGB finds him a nice wife fourth fourth one um, who takes care of him as these things happen right Angleton then uh, gets sick with lung cancer and tries out uh, for the first time in his life on mm-hmm. alcohol and then uh want to wind this up there's this dramatic death threat uh, that speech that's in the Trento book.
2: I have the quote in front of me. I do. Yeah, no, I've got the quote in front of me. As Angleton was dying, he told Trento, you know, the CIA got tens of thousands of brave people killed. We played with lives as if we owned them. We gave false hope. We, I, so misjudged what happened. Fundamentally, the founding fathers of US intelligence were liars. The only thing they had in common was a desire for absolute power. I did things that I regret. But I was part of it and loved being part of it. Alan Dulles, Richard Helms, Carmel Offey, and Frank Wisner were the grand masters. If you were in a room with them, you were in a room full of people that you had to believe would deservedly end up in hell. Angleton slowly sipped his tea and then said, I guess I will see them there soon. Wow. It's a great ending. It's okay. a great, <laughs> yes. it's a great yes. ending and a great, like, last words. Wow. Yeah.
1: And just to let the listeners know, we have left a lot out. You should definitely check out this book because <laughs> the details uh, are absolutely astounding. It's
2: a... it's and the story a story that unfolds. Tremendous read, and, um, but yeah. we've taken up two and a half hours of your time just hitting the high points Uh, We recommend it to everybody. Thank you for spending so much of your night talking to us,
0: Michael. Thank you. It's been very entertaining. An iron curtain has descended across the
2: continent.